Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. SoupX, the Startup Expo, North America's premier startup conference, is March 6th and 7th, 2017, in sunny Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Affordably priced, SoupX is a two-day international conference featuring workshops, panels, speeches, a $50,000 startup competition, and over 100 exhibitors. For more information, go to sup-x.org. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Tom Hunt. He's the co-founder at asktina.io. Tom, welcome to the show. Hello, Kevin. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I love talking to people kind of all over the world. And I think mm-hmm. what, you, what you're doing is really cool. Um, you're, you're currently in London and I'm currently in Canada. And I love how you know I get to talk to people all over the planet because I do this show. So mm-hmm. welcome, welcome, Tom. Welcome. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's awesome to be here. And what I really like, if sometimes we um, we do not uh, we get used to these amazing technologies that we have, right? Sure. Like being able to speak to someone with such great audio quality on the other side of the world was like no one could have even foreseen that a hundred years ago. Totally. Right? And now here we're, we're sitting here discussing awesome things. Right. Like it is really amazing, and I'm glad that you sort of brought that up um, to, to remind us how lucky we are. Totally. Yeah, it's it's mind-boggling, right? And and that's the one thing I love about doing the show is I like I can have anybody on the show because of technology and and the fact be, I'm in technology and I love technology. It's just it's totally your it's a total bonus. <laughs> but maybe let's kind of start off the show with getting to know you a little bit better and kind of um, start off with your background. Um, maybe let's start off with where you grew up. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a, a small town in the west of England called Chippenham. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I guess I did well in school, got into a university in London, which is famed for math and technology. It's called Imperial College of London. So I left home at 18. Okay. I moved to London and studied a master's in medicinal chemistry. Okay. What, what, <laughs> what does that actually mean for people that don't really know what that yeah, is? So it, no, it, it was really a master's in chemistry, and then, but my final year product, project was in uh, medicine, so we're trying okay. to create an anti-cancer protein. Uh, I didn't, I didn't manage to create it. Um, however, it, it was in that final year that I realised that I didn't want to pursue a career in chemistry because I spent six months in a laboratory on my own playing with liquids in glass uh, cylinders. So I decided I wanted to do, do things with with people. Okay. However, my my choice here, I think, was somewhat flawed. I, I, I really. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I based my decision on what my brother had done, what my mum wanted me to do, and what the rest of my sort of cohort in university were doing, going to work in banking slash management consulting. Got you. So I then went to work in a company called Ernst & Young for a year and a half, and then a company called Accenture for a year and a half, where I was really doing project management of outsourcing projects. Okay. Got you. And like it, But even like the first month joining Ernst & Young, I really realized that this was not something that I actually wanted to do. Okay. But it, it, again, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. So it, it took me three years to, I guess it was really a journey of discovery where I spent a lot of time, spent very time on the internet listening to podcasts like this, reading blogs, uh, trying to really understand 
the internet because I was interested in that and trying to really understand what else I could be doing with my life. Gotcha. And so I discovered the online marketing world and I built, I ended up building a business that really played on my strengths from the corporate world, which was uh, project management and outsourcing. So I just basically connected startups in London with a team that I built in the Philippines uh, uh, where I would go in, look at their processes and hand some work over so, to my team in the Philippines. And I was like the middleman. Okay. I, okay. Yeah. And then at what point did you decide to kind of start up Virtual Valley? Yeah. So Virtual Valley came as I realized when I quit Accenture that I'd just built myself a job. I'd become self-employed, right? I was very involved in every transaction and all the value delivery within that business. So I decided to build a system that I could sit above that where – uh, these people could transact on a platform, create and deliver value, and my time wouldn't be directly affected. So uh, I started building Virtual Valley in, in the middle of 2015, and it launched at the start of 2016. And Virtual Valley is just a, a platform like Upwork or Freelance Server. We had a curated database of just Filipino virtual assistants. Okay. Um, so we launched, and we started to grow. And as we were growing, I... I was observing the, the behavior of the entrepreneurs and spending a lot of time on customer live chat. And I realized that entrepreneurs, they really don't like managing or recruiting, and they're not good at managing or recruiting virtual staff. Sure. So this made me think, as I was having a conversation with an advisor, about uh, could we build an administrative black hole where you just chuck in those boring tasks that you hate doing and are forced to do if you're like a sole business owner um, and they would just get done for you you trust that that thing or that person and they would get sent straight back so we here's a really big learning lesson actually um that i think would be very valuable for the listeners is with virtual value it went from idea to product launch in six months wow. with Tina, it went from idea to product launched in three weeks wow and then within two weeks after launching tina we had four paying customers and interest from a VC company in New York. Okay, let's let's step step back a little uh, okay. a little bit. Okay, so what made you take six months for Virtual Valley and three weeks yeah. for Tina? I, I get that the products are are different, but mm -hmm. related at the same time. Um, but what was your reasoning for kind of taking six months compared to three weeks? Yeah, it, I think it, it, there wasn't a rational reason for it. There, there's a couple of things going on. First, building an online marketplace is a little bit more complex than the, the Slack integration that we built. So that's, sure. that's number one, and that's a fair point. Uh, number two is with Virtual Valley, I worked with an outsourced development team who are based in Egypt, who are like awesome. I still speak with them now. We don't work together anymore, but uh, I don't think I managed them correctly. Okay. Uh, and we didn't have a clear scope defined at the start of the project. Okay. Uh, so that's the second thing. But the third thing, the most interesting thing, is my emotional uh, apprehension about launching the platform that kept pushing it back. Like gotcha. we could have probably launched something really scrappy four months, but then I was like, nope, we need to squash these bugs. We need to get it better. Um, and ultimately, it worked out okay, but. Um, in the future, I'm definitely going to take the, the leaner approach that we did with Tina. Okay. So before we kind of maybe go to Tina, so what you, you're, you've been growing like crazy, Virtual Valley is growing like crazy. Kind of walk me through kind of exactly what Virtual Valley was doing. Obviously, you kind of covered it briefly, but give me kind of a quick overview of exactly what Virtual Valley is. 
Yeah, so the, the value proposition or the tagline on the homepage is hire a awesome vegetable assistant in five minutes and seven clicks. Mm -hmm. So any entrepreneur can come on, find someone, hire them through the platform. Um, and well, once they've been hired, they can then get the co contact details of the virtual assistant, move off the platform, but then we still have time tracking software, tracking the virtual assistant's activities. And then we have an automatic billing system. So all that time is multiplied by the hourly rate upon hiring, and then that is automatically taken from the client's bank account after it's been approved uh, at the end of the month, with 20% going to the platform and 80% going to the virtual assistant. Got you. Okay, and then how do you guys find kind of virtual assistants? Yeah, so we had we uh, this goes back into the the launching of marketplaces, right? So we wanted to uh, take the side that's easier to get to the platform, and okay. then build that supply artificially, so that when the demand side, the entrepreneurs, the harder group of people, the more expensive group of people to get to the platform come, they have the person to interact with. Gotcha. So, we actually manually recruited 83 virtual assistants, and I wrote the whole recruitment process and how it went uh, on our blog that we can link to below. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, we went ahead and did that, and then opened the, the floodgates, so to speak, uh, when the platform launched and started bringing the entrepreneurs to the platform. So how did you promote it when it launched? Yeah, so this is, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, right? In, the, in those six months when we were, when we were sure. building, I had a lot of time to think. Now, I... Because we're self-funded, um, I took the, there, there was actually phase one and phase two of marketing. Phase one was to bring like a trickle of traffic using content and social. Got you. To bring a few entrepreneurs, get feedback, improve the platform, and then we could move to phase two, which was sort of scaling where we'd use uh, affiliates, referrals, and paid traffic. Got you. Uh, so I really went on a, on a crazy guest blogging spree. I did 47 guest blogs in three months wow that's a it, lot yes yeah, especially when some of them are like four thousand words so it's like yeah. every day two three hours of writing um <laughs> wow but great for my writing skills sure, so sure i um so that they that was good for links good for some traffic and some clients but then it built the, the partnerships and the relationships with the people who would then be the affiliates in phase two got you no that makes a lot of sense okay so how did kind of Ask Tina come come about. Yeah, so I, I, as I mentioned, uh, there was this issue with the management. So people would hire a virtual assistant, and then they wouldn't get the results they wanted. And I would under, try and understand what happened. There was just no management. Um, and then also, I'd see people trying to recruit, and I'd see how they would recruit, and it was just not awesome. So I thought. Can we just provide this solution where entrepreneurs don't have to do this? They literally just type something to someone, and then boom, the task is done. So we tried to understand exactly where an early adopter person would be who would use this product. Uh, and clearly Slack is very open to, for us to integrate with. So, so we just built actually a very simple Slack integration where any Slack team that added Tina to their Slack would be able to talk to us in the back end, which was also Slack. So the MVP that we launched that got this paying class was very, very, like not automated at all. It's just a simple integration to a group of virtual assistants that I knew were good at delivering the task on the other side. But we'd offer an unlimited usage model. So you pay $200 a month and get unlimited usage, which in hindsight, we actually lost money on, but it was good to, it was good to get that experience and get the early traction. Okay, interesting. So 
for for people that don't really understand the space a bit, let's kind of cover exactly what you guys are kind of doing. Yeah. With with Tina because I, like I get what you guys are doing and I I think it's actually really really cool and and a much needed service. But kind of walk me through kind of you know, obviously people can go to asktina.io and check it out, but for people listening online or in their car or something, maybe do you want to kind of talk about exactly how to use it and what I kind of yeah, get back? Yeah. yeah, of course. So um, what we're building, well, what Tina really is, is an intelligent marketplace. Okay. So because everything is done through, or the whole interaction is done through a conversational interface, it means we're gathering loads and loads of information that we can analyze to form this intelligent selection algorithm so Tina will be able to understand the task you're trying to get rid of not get rid of trying to get done and she can intelligently select a freelancer based on multiple different data points who a uh, and I'll just list some of those data points now maybe they've worked with you before and you've had a good experience not by reviews, but by the sentimental analysis of the language. They have done this type of task before. Obviously, they are online. They have had good feedback on their last four tasks from other entrepreneurs. So instead of having to go and recruit your own assistant for these basic tasks, Tina will always find the best person for you. Okay. No, that makes sense. So kind of on behind the scenes, so I'm, I'm typing either through Slack or, or just on your website, um, at Tina, who who's on the other end? I guess is, is <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. be the next question. So, so the she understands and delegates the task automatically. So when you're first at the start of the task, if a natural language processing and machine learning software that will guide you through the process. Okay, interesting. Now, how, however, as soon as the task has been delegated. This then sends through a request to specific freelancers based on the algorithm we've just discussed. And this is really cool, by the way. This is like so exciting. Um, we have another bot on the other side, on the freelancer side, called David. Okay. And, and David hasn't been publicized yet because we're still working on the front end, Tina. But David integrates only into Skype because this is where the freelancers are. Interesting. So, so David sends a notification to three to five freelancers based on the task. And then the first freelancer to accept the task then opens a direct communication channel between the freelancer and, and the client. So the client only sees Tina, the freelancer only sees David, so they can discuss the task and send the task through. And then once the client has said task complete, the communication channel closes, and then the automated Tina comes back. Interesting. Okay, that's, that's actually really cool. So, and so we'll, we'll, one more point here. Before sure, we sure, of course. Is that, at the moment, like so, bots over the last two years have become prevalent, and everyone's used to speaking to bots and the bots providing a service to you. Sure. What David is, and I haven't seen any other bot out there like this at the moment, though I'm sure there will be. If David is a bot that actually gives you work, so David is the bot that you can work for, and he will pay you. We haven't actually got this figured out yet, but we think we're going to be able to pay freelancers as soon as the task is closed, and that's going to be game-changing for these people all around the world that just want to do simple tasks and get paid straight away and don't have to worry about their client paying them on time or them not actually getting their money. Sure. So, so I'm curious then, how does it, like, 
how does it, if I want to sign up as to be part of like the freelancing community behind, like Ask Tina, how do I go about doing that? Have you guys selected yeah. that yet? Is that open to the public? So, uh, currently, no. Um, and it goes okay. back to how we launched Virtual Valley, right? Is we need to make sure that where the interactions that the, the harder side, the entrepreneur side have when they get on the platform are, are seamless. So I've only given David to select freelancers from the Virtual Valley resource pool, actually. Got you. Um, so I, I have some assurance of quality. But what we will have, just like we have on AskTina.io, maybe it'll be some prefix David.io, where any freelancer in the world can go there. They can speak to David. David will give them a test task uh, to understand their ability. And if they pass, they can then add David to Skype, and then they're, they're rolling. Got you. So what types of tasks can um, Tina do for me now? I, I get that. Tina's kind of, you know, you'll pass me off to whatever task I want, but what's yeah. kind of a general or kind of guidelines of tasks that um, Tina can do for me? Yeah, so I, I did an analysis of the most requested tasks uh, a couple of days ago, and I'll just run through the top six sure. or so. So uh, travel planning, booking, ordering stuff, building small lists, like find me a list of 10 dentists in California. Got you. Basic research, scheduling, they're, they're the core tasks. Um, We've updated, like, we, the, the two that we're going to focus on to start with are list building. So, like, basically organizing information that you can get from search engines that search engines can't do yet. And then also, like, basic research. Okay, very cool. So, wh how, what is your kind of, uh, I guess, how are you guys monetizing this? Yeah, so we, we're currently only monetizing on the demand side. So, this is... Uh, we, well, we're actually experimenting with models now, but we're considering, or we, like currently live, a pay-as-you-go model where you pay a flat rate per hour that's billed at the end of the month. Gotcha. And, but also an unlimited subscription, and we're not sure of the price point. It's probably going to change. But that needs to be optimized um, to ensure that we remain profitable. But what I think, we're not, I'm actually, uh, we need to, we haven't confirmed this, but potentially the, the value for the freelancer is such that they would pay a small monthly subscription just to be able to have access to David to, to get that work. Now, I'm not sure yet if, if that would work, but that's a potential other channel. No, I see. No, I, I think it's awesome. I, and what I love about kind of the conversation we're having right now, and I think it is really what I want to stress to kind of the listener is just because you have a startup up and running, you, you still haven't figured everything out. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're sure. trying everything with billing, you're trying kind of features, you're, you know, you're kind of working on back end. And I, I think that's super important, right? And I love the fact that you guys launched within three weeks, right? And now you're kind of figuring out other pieces of, of it based on just trial and error for, for lack of a better term of it, right? And I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, right? And yeah. if you would have taken another, you know, six months to launch, you probably would have potentially had to make some big changes, right? Exactly. It's basically, we're, we're limiting the assumptions that we make. And I, I read a book recently called The Black Swan by uh, Nassim Taleb. And the, the, I'll sum it up. It's a really long, intelligent book. He's basically sure. saying that we're, our, our predictions are futile. And so what, what we're doing is we're not predicting, we're not assuming these, these things that w could be right or could be wrong we're taking small, we're making small assumptions and then looking at the numbers. Right? Right. And this is how, I guess it's like the lean startup iterative methodology, but as opposed to just saying, this is how we're going to charge, this is how Tina will work, 
we're, we're doing small tests, looking at numbers, and then only committing to these things if the data uh, says yes. No, I, I love that. And, and the big thing, too, I think that a lot of people kind of just getting into this, it's like the data doesn't lie, right? And you mm. need to start getting, the sooner you can start collecting data from users or feedback or, or whatever it is, the sooner you can make calls on what's working and not working, right? And I think a lot of people are scared to kind of just put something out there. But I think the key is, is the sooner you put something out there, the sooner you can start collecting data and know what's working and not working. Exactly. So... I'm kind of curious to know, where do you kind of see Tina going? Obviously, you're probably going to add more freelancers. You're probably going to add more types of tasks. But do you kind of have this like grand vision of Tina or the fact that it kind of came out of another product? Just you're kind of just going to see where it goes. No, we've obviously had to answer these investors or potential investors have obviously asked these questions. Sure. There, There are really three routes. Route okay. one is we, we continue with just these basic admin tasks um, and then try to automate the actual admin tasks, right? So go from a marketplace to a SaaS model, which is obviously like what investors want because of the margins associated with the SaaS business model, um, though very challenging. But I think it will get easier in the next two, three years. Um, the, the other model is to, or the other approach is to open up the marketplace to more complex virtual knowledge working tasks like designing PowerPoint presentations, building proposals, and then opening the, the freelancer side up to more skilled freelancers. Um, so basically just having an intelligent marketplace. So instead of going to Upwork, where you spend all the time like scrolling through all the rubbish profiles and like getting spammed, uh, you can just use Tina and she'll select the best person. No, um, okay. Keep but then yeah, the third, and one I'm less keen on maybe, maybe it's just less, less sexy, is the enterprise model where we can take the Tina system, implement that into larger businesses, and the entrepreneurs would then become higher level managers, and the freelancers would then become lower level admin resources within their organization. Right. And well, you could even maybe spin that out as another company, right? Exactly. Interesting. Yeah, see, I, I love that, right? And I think the, the thing that I, I really liked about you when we kind of initially connected was you, you kind of just like you did that you basically for, for lack of a better term and you could correct me if I'm wrong is like you were you basically were working full time you saw a need in the market you built a startup that and then from that startup you built another startup based on just kind of the evolution of what you see you saw in the market that kind of needed solving right and you came up with these software products to solve these real pro- uh, problems in the market. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, it's kind of like, yeah, I, I, I really see like Tina as an optimization problem. I really see my last, the last five years of my life trying to optimize the solution for this, the problem of small business owners working in the business and not on the business, right? And I think this is really going to power the future of society is if we get these small entrepreneurs, small businesses, small business entrepreneurs, thriving um and i think the best way to do that is enable them to sort of step out of their system and actually become entrepreneurs um and so if we look at what i did as soon as i left accenture really over the past three years is three iterative businesses like the outsource service the marketplace and altina are all trying to solve that problem and are getting more and more complex and hopefully valuable um as as we move forward with time sure well and realistically 
as technology and what you can kind of do in the browser kind of chat space, like it's just a matter mm-hmm. of time, right? Like they're Google and all the other companies are pushing so many updates to their kind of OSs and browsers so fast nowadays that, mm-hmm. you know, who knows where even you guys will be in six months, right? Exactly. Yeah. So no, that's great. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier um, that you said you were self-funded. So mm-hmm. you self-funded um, Virtual Valley, correct? Yeah. Okay. Did you ever take investment on that? Nope. Okay. And then self-funded on Ask Tina as well? Or did you uh, take money from Virtual Valley? Like how did that kind of work? So it, the, the the first launch of Tina only only cost $1,000. So yeah, that, oh, that wow. was money from, from Virtual Valley. Uh, but then since then, me and my, my co-founder, James, have been working on other projects as well. Like, I'm still working on Virtual Valley until it's sold next Thursday. Um, but a week, well, in about a week, we start an accelerator here in London where we now have money. And so we can go full time and really focus all of our efforts on Tina. So Virtual Valley self-funded, our Tina kind of self-funded at the start, but now not. Got you. Okay. And, and then you mentioned you sold Virtual Valley or in like it's in the process of being sold. Yeah, in the process. Okay, so and without kind of getting into details there, um, or you can tell me or tell the listener as much as you want. There, how, did you guys try to sell this thing? Did you get approached um, yeah. by an investor, or sorry, uh, getting acquired, or, or kind of walk me through kind of how that came to be? Yeah. So no, we didn't get approached. Okay. But what I because I spent a bit of time learning about how to sell businesses. Um, what I'd really done, even when I started to, the, the first outsource service business is building relationships with other outsourcing companies uh, in gotcha. the world. Just like e- emailing a CEO and saying, do you want to chat? Like I'm starting something similar. Um, and so I did have these people that I could reach out to and just drop the meeting and say, look, uh, this is being sold. Are you interested in, in talking more? Um, so I, I had those connections. None of them actually went in to buy Virtual Valley. So the other things I did, I, I actually cold emailed other Filipino outsourcing companies, one of which uh, we got to the contract stage, then it fell through. Interesting. Um, but the the person who I sold it to eventually actually saw the listing on Flipper. Wow. Uh, but then uh, I, I closed the listing on Flipper because I was going to sell to that, that Filipino outsourcing company. Uh, but then that guy from Flipper got back in touch when he heard that the deal had fallen through. Uh, and now we're continuing with that transaction, which is going to be complete next week. Interesting. So for people, what is Flipper for people that don't know what that is? Yeah, so, so Flipper is, is a marketplace for buying and selling websites. So you, if you have a website to sell, you just go up there, you lift it, uh, provide loads of information, and then people can bid. Oh, interesting. Okay, very cool. So, well, congrats on the sale, first off. Thank um, you. So... You're, are you going to be part of Virtual Valley continuing? Yeah. Or? Okay, you will. Yeah, so I've only actually 90%, so I'm still going to have an active role. Um, I'm still going to be creating content, like continuing the journey on the blog and being responsible for building relationships, finding partners, and uh, sort of just being the face. Got you. Okay, so... No, that I think that's awesome, and then kind of, and then obviously you'll you'll be continuing um, with Tina and the development and, and whatnot. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to know, you you have a co-founder with Ask Tina, and I'm always curious to know 
how you found your co-founder because yeah. I think that can be really really challenging yeah it, it definitely can um, so I, because this is a, a very asked question by all non-technical co-founders right because sure. it's like a there's obviously significantly more of these people like myself right so sure. but well, what I would say it is not hard to find them it's hard to convince them to work with you Okay, interesting. So it, it, I'll explain exactly how I found James. I think I was very fortunate. Um, well, I say I was fortunate, but we'll get onto more of that in a second. Okay. Uh, so I just wrote a job description for the CTO slash co-founder. Um, we can go into detail in the job description, but it's really like uh, you have to convey your mission and uh, because that's really what they have to align with if they're going to be a co-founder. They, they, sh- they can't be in it for money. They have to be in it for the vision. So the, the job description was very heavy on the vision, right? Okay. And I just posted that on like free job board, startup job boards in the UK and in some Facebook groups for London startups. Um, and then I got, e- I got an email from James. But that is not the hard part. Like I- I- if you write a good job mission and you distribute that, finding people that could be your uh, technical co-founder like reaching out to people in your network, that's not hard. The hard part is convincing them to work with you, right? Sure. That so, makes a lot of sense. I say I was lucky finding James in that I just had to spend an hour writing a job description and then post it in a Facebook group and he messaged me. But really, the, the reason why James, someone of the caliber of James, uh, wanted to work with me is because I spent like three years nailing the whole online marketing, getting exposure, getting traffic for startups. Sure. Right? So the advice I would give to any non-technical person trying to find a technical co-founder is actually go and do some stuff to prove that you can do the stuff, right? So that when the technical uh, co-founder, uh, when you find him, he's like, okay, this guy is for real. He's actually going to do some stuff and, we, and I have a chance of like building something cool that people will actually use. Sure. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice because I think most people – whether even technical or non-technical, struggle with actually getting to market. Like it really doesn't matter if what you build is the best thing ever. If you can't get it in front of people or figure out how to do it, you will never get traffic, right? Or you'll get such a tiny amount. And like I always joke that I think in in a lot of cases, and I would put myself in the technical kind of founder um, category. So, but I think... The problem is, is I think like 80% is figuring out how to get it in front of potential customers, mm-hmm. right? And and 20% is actually building the product. And it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter if, if it's either the technical founder or the non-technical founder or whoever on the team figures out how to get it in front of people, but that is 80% of the problem. Agree? Disagree? Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, in the early stages, getting your, your early product in front of people is obviously crucial because that's how you're going to get the information, the data to build an amazing product, right? Sure. So, what I, I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly. So, if you think of it from James' point of view, like, he's just, like, when I reached out and obviously I linked to Virtual Valley, he could they go to the Virtual Valley blog and see that I podcasted Monday to Friday every day for six months wow. talking about how I showed people Virtual Valley, right? He's like, okay, this guy can actually do it. So, yeah, exactly. Prove that you can do the do that early customer acquisition. Okay, so I'm curious to know what other things did you do to promote it when you guys were kind of early on? Yeah, so uh, I, I can lift down everything that we've done for Aftina. So uh, the version one, when we launched 
uh, after three weeks. It was just a Reddit. Uh, I just basically wrote exactly what we did in three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, posted it in Reddit forward slash entrepreneurs, okay. and just put one link to Tina, and that drove like 1,700 visits, which is awesome. Uh, we obviously put, we got a influencer to post us on Product Hunt. Gotcha. Didn't win, got like 70 upvotes, but it still drove some traffic. Um, and then from there, this is really cheeky actually, We <laughs> when, when you add a, a bot to your Slack team, yeah. you can code you can add a welcome message that was sent to everybody in the team so kind of like spamming kind of not but there's no rules about it at the moment uh so we then sent this welcome message that i like perfectly scripted and then obviously there's a double-sided referral link at the bottom of the welcome message so that then they could just send it to their friends and they get a couple of free tasks each so when we got added to a slack team of four thousand people Mm-hmm. It, it was it was i mean a bit sneaky and people were very annoyed but that is really how we grew got the early information for tina version one no that that's awesome and i, I think it's it's always interesting right because nobody talks about kind of their yeah. the, like the good and kind of gray area stuff that they do right and i think we all do it right? I think that's the reality of it. It's just some people are w- way more willing to tell other people that that's what they do yeah, and what they I don't know. do. And like, yes. to be 100% honest with you, yeah. Um, like for when I was starting the kind of show Twitter account, I bought a bunch of followers and I know a bunch of people yeah. like cringe at that and I get that. But what mm-hmm. I did with it is I don't care about actually buying the followers. What I wanted was the ability to use a tool like Crowdfire to actually follow other blogs and people mm-hmm. and Twitter accounts that I'm targeting, right? And mm-hmm. as those crappy bot followers fall off or get deleted by by Twitter, I can actually grow, like as they drop off, I can actually fill those followers yeah. with legitimate followers yeah. of people, right? And that promoted the show as a podcast for me really early on, right? And I know people cringe about that, but yeah. the, the thing that's funny is what, as I was doing that, I you'd find like all the top celebrities and musicians and brands are all doing it. Like you'd pop mm-hmm. up to see like their verified accounts are asking and doing the exact same thing. And I think even um, Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign got... Um, a bunch of people figured out like she bought a bunch of followers for her account. So like all the big media people do it. Like you name the pop star, you name the brand, they're all doing this stuff. Right. And so, you know, and I, and once I figured that out, I was like, well, you know what, I'm going to try and see if it works for me and it does work for me. So, you know, it's interesting, right. By, by now at this point, it's been well over a year since I've done it. Like all those followers I bought were, are just gone now and don't matter but yeah. I've filled them with legitimate things. But I think it, it's interesting how you kind of, you, you almost need to be a little bit kind of ballsy and, and try these things that, you know, can p- potentially get you a lot of good traffic right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it just makes me think of the, the Airbnb spamming that they did on Craigslist. Like, totally. Dirty, dirty spamming. But like... The, it it got them through their early growth stage, and now they have an amazing company that's helping loads of people. Totally, and I and I guess like we're not trying to promote 
I guess, like go and spam people, but you kind of <laughs> need to figure out these tactics to get users, right? Because yeah. it some of these kind of things do work. And if you don't do what other people are doing, it is the reality of it, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, so that's that's interesting and kind of an interesting tangent we just kind of went on there but but I like that right because I like people to, or I like to have people on the show that tell kind of real stories of what they're doing to actually get their product or service out there right yeah I, I, so obviously like one more thing on this because I find it interesting sure. um, when I was researching that virtual valley phase like de deciding how to grow virtual valley I, there's a talk on YouTube by one of the founders of Thumbtack and I'm not I'm not saying anything negative here but okay. it, and he was like how you grow your platform to 1 million revenue or whatever and then he was like laying down what they did and then <laughs> it's so funny for, for like the early stage like when you don't have many users and you don't have any money he's like we, you just do scrappy things totally and, and he, he would he would go into he went into zero, no more detail at what scrappy things are. I think someone even asked me, he said, no, he can say because they still do some of the stuff now and they have hundreds of people in the Philippines like doing the stuff. But sure. it, yeah, it's like, yes, this is what you have to do in the early days when you have little money. Oh, totally. And it's interesting. It reminds me of this interview and I can't remember who it was with, but um, Kevin Rose has, he kind of interviews people or like he video interviews like really well-known people in the Valley. And this mm -hmm. one guy basically said when he was first starting out, he literally was in New York City and he wrote to these huge CEOs at companies and like uh, VC firms or something like that. Like he was looking for money and he basically said to every like when he was inter emailing somebody else saying like, can I get a meeting with you? He t he literally was like, I email or I have a meeting set up with like your competition even though he really didn't so like yeah. he did all these like things that some people would be like oh i would never do that but so that guy mm. was like oh that guy has a meeting with my competition i gotta meet with him right and so he ended up yeah. getting all these meetings because he he came there with no meetings and he ended up getting all these meetings because he basically made had the illusion that other people were meeting with him that were his competition <laughs> and i Sounds always like kind of love that right yeah. So you're right. It's totally like scrappy. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people are doing that. And if you watch the show kind of Silicon Valley, like being in that industry and watching that or being in this industry and watching that show and how funny it is because that that stuff goes on all the time and nobody talks about it. Yeah. When they, when they bought the, they rented the cake farm in India. <laughs> totally. No, it, it totally. It's hilarious. Or like we always joke here um, when there's that opening or that ending scene where literally they're doing a live demo and they're like servers are actually on fire. Like, I think that's just, that's just hilarious. Right. Yeah. No, that's great. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the show, Tom. So let's kind of maybe end the show with mentioning where people can find um, you guys online and any other kind of social media links you want to mention. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you can actually go to Tina.io and have a chat with her on the site. Sure. Uh, so I'd recommend going there so you can get to know her. Uh, if you have any questions for me, uh, you can just go at TomHuntIO. Uh, I'm on Twitter quite a lot. And then also Virtual Valley if you want to see the old business and the whole journey of that business, actually. Everything we did is documented on the blog. That's virtualvalley.io. 
No, that's great, Tom. And I, I love people like yourself that are willing to kind of tell the good, bad, and other stuff that happens in kind of a startup, right? And kind of how you outline that and you're willing to share that stuff openly and publicly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I just realized just now I like laid down the roadmap for Tina for the next like six months. <laughs> yeah, now you're <laughs> so committed. No turning back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's all good. Exactly. All right, Tom. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll do this again once you start your, your, your next venture. <laughs> sure. Thank you, Kevin. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good rest of your night. And you. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com. And keep building the future.